And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers, and welcome to episode number 15, recorded on February 24th, 2014, of PNR's This Old Marketing. As we always say, we'd certainly love a review of the show, and thank you for all of those who have. We've got a big influx of reviews this week, but please go review us, especially if you like it, of course. Hint, hint, hint. Uh, And please do consider subscribing via the iTunes or Stitcher's links, which along with the lovely show notes and links and general awesomeness of all the stories we talk about today, you can find in our show post on our very own, very fancy corner of the web, thisoldmarketing.com. And as always, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, the Academy Award winner for Most Handsome Content Marketer of the World. Joe, how are you, my friend? Uh, yeah, with the least amount of hair on their heads, probably, would be a qualification. <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Have, have you had a good week? I've... I have had a great week so far. It's been uh, it's been wonderful. I you know I heard on the news that that yet again another polar vortex is headed your way. And <laughs> I just had to giggle and go, oh my god, that you know when is this winter going to be over? You know what's odd though, I'm actually getting on a plane tomorrow and I'm headed. I know you're coming a couple days later, but we're gonna actually be at the same event, which rarely ever happens. It is very rare, actually. Yes, we're going to be at the Intelligent Content Conference up in San Francisco at the end of this uh, at the end of this week, which I'm absolutely looking forward to getting together with all kinds of content strategists to differentiate there. Um, and to, it's going to be yeah, crazy. Talk to them a little bit about <laughs> content marketing. It's going to be it's going to be nutty, absolutely. And then we have yeah, the Academy exactly. Awards this weekend, which I'm, I don't know if you're. I mean, my household goes absolutely bat you know what over it um the cat we get pizza we have a big thing we watch it we laugh at the costumes the dresses the whole thing it's a it's it's quite the event here in the rose household uh, yeah i'm probably not as into it as you are but definitely into it and and more and more than ever be, well i wish lego was nominated this week but for this year but we have to wait till, till well that was a, it was a piece of news right I mean, it's, you know, so there was a piece of news that actually came out this It said basically that the Lego movie is good enough that everybody expects it to get a nomination for Best Animated Feature. I mean, you're... Yeah, I thought it was, yeah, ABC News came out and said uh, basically, you know, okay, we're celebrating the Academy Awards coming up, but look for the Lego movie to get top animated next year. Of course, we don't know what's going to come out by then, but it's funny. I was interviewed on, uh, I was on BBC Online today. And they called me up and said, hey, can you talk about the Lego movie for three minutes or Lego marketing for three minutes and 30 seconds? I said, sure, that's fine. And that's what I led with. I said, Lego movie, look for it, 2015 Academy Award. And, uh, you know, I think that's where we're headed. So, And by the way, I saw the movie and it's everyone should go see it, especially if you're a Lego fan. It's simply fantastic. I've just got to go see it. Well. Okay, so let's move on to the news because we have a whole bunch of news to talk about. A whole lot of news. A whole lot of news. And so it is uh, leading off with our friends at LinkedIn who made big news this week, I think, um, launching a new publishing platform. So it used to be that it was just influencers like you, Joe Polizzi, um, who could actually go out there and publish content on the LinkedIn platform. But now they're going to open it up to everybody. So the email came in basically on this uh, a blog uh, that says, starting today, 25,000 members will have the ability to publish content on LinkedIn. And then they're going to start expanding the capability to all the members in multiple language over the next few weeks. Of course, I have not received mine yet. Hello, hello, hint, hint, LinkedIn people. Um, so what do you think, Joe? Is this is this uh, diffusing influencers or is it just adding to the party? Or what do you think? What's your take? Well, what's interesting, first of all, is the whole WhatsApp Facebook thing came out about the same time. And this didn't get the amount of play that it really should have. This is big news. Yeah. This is This is huge news. You can now get followers i mean yeah i mean i've been in the influencer program for i don't know what it's been over six months now and they've they've capped that at about 400 and you can publish on the platform you can gain followers just like you can on on twitter and facebook and i gotta tell you it's been a fantastic experience for me i mean it is if you are looking to gather a new audience and to set up a platform on a different site like you would publish on let's say if you have a Facebook group or something like or Google Plus let's say it's it's simply fantastic now they're going to take almost everything that influencers have 
that I've been doing on LinkedIn. And you're able to do that, publish on the platform, you know, create your, your own following. It'll be linked up with your uh, LinkedIn profile. Uh, you'll be it'll and as you post something, it'll of course go right to your profile. It'll it'll send it out to your network. Um, I I'll tell you what you and I and I think this is really really good. I think there'll be some people that will not be so nice using the platform in the wrong way. But you know if if you don't, it'll really hurt your reputation. I mean, it'll be linked to your profile. Um, and from a B2B standpoint, from a B2B publishing platform, they just came in here, especially with SlideShare, as we know and love. They've come right in and said, you know, we are taking this dominant position. I think it's huge. I think everybody should look at it. Um, and, of course, they basically said, oh, you influencers, you'll still be able to get – we still get <laughs> editing help. We still get editing help. We still get promoted in a different way. Uh, but really all I see, Robert, is that we got a little bit of a head yeah, start. Yeah, you got a head start. Other than that, that's it. So, I mean, if I, for me, I've got to take advantage of that head start. I don't know been able to get a, a good group of followers but now everyone can do this and i mean i saw it coming but part of me's like oh it's a little bit sad because i had something exclusive but hey now now it's all up the ground well it's an interesting thing right because it becomes you know almost the farm team for their influencer program because you know what they can do is monitor to see who's really developing into an influencer level type persona and then they can promote them to being one of the you know so it ultimately it helps them because there was there was no way they were going to identify you know with with all due respect and 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 bowing down to the godfather of content marketing they were never going to capture everybody that's greatly influential in any one topic and this is a great way for them to widen that net and say okay well we didn't capture everyone and so but here's the the real key the takeaway for me and I agree with you by the way that I think it's big news is that it's really about the individual here, right? So where SlideShare is really built around sharing content at a business level, you can certainly do it as an individual, and many do, but it's really built around that idea sure. of building a B, you know, a, a business-oriented channel. This is really about you, the person. How are you creating yourself as an influencer? I think it's not going to be as effective if businesses start going on and putting their corporate blog up here and that sort of thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And what's amazing is if you have a piece that resonates on LinkedIn, I, I mean, we've, you and I have talked about it before. I've never seen anything like the amount of engagement you get on LinkedIn. You do. You like get you a could lot. Talk, you, could talk, you could talk about engagement all you want on Facebook. Facebook's got nothing on LinkedIn. I mean, I, I just posted a WhatsApp uh, piece uh, this morning. And I've got a hundred comments on it. It's well, well over like three thousand shares, and that's all from just one post. Yeah. And it's not. I'm not just saying. I mean, of course, it's a very good post. <laughs> but it's not. It's not just me. It's the power of that network. It really platform. is. Now, will that will that get diluted now that everyone's on that platform? Uh, I don't know, but I think the. Op- I mean, you have a choice to make. You could say, oh, "Okay, well, I could blog on my own platform, or I could blog on LinkedIn." Granted, it's not your own content; it's you're giving into that, you know, LinkedIn halo effect. But still, opportunity. Yeah, no, I think it is, and you know, and and it's not. I don't think it's mutually exclusive either. I mean, you could, you yeah. know, I mean, this becomes a. Con- what is your as an individual? What is your content marketing strategy? Right? How are you marketing yourself? And in many ways, you could blog, you know, on the LinkedIn platform and only put a piece of it up there and then link back to your personal website or to your other social channels and start aggregating an audience just like, you know, you too could be Joe Polizzi if you just put enough work into it. That's, uh, that's I think, the, the major takeaway. <laughs> God, help, God help us all <laughs> with that one right there. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, moving on to the next story here. Uh, well, a really interesting one, I thought, uh, from our friend um, – at you know Jonah Peretti from BuzzFeed, who came out with three rules for content marketing success, which I love that headline by the way, just coming from BuzzFeed, and and um, it's actually posted on eMarketingAssociates.com, um, and he came away with three takeaways. And and uh, what what did you uh, what did you make of this article? Well, I mean, first of all, just really good takeaways, solid takeaways that we all need. And it's probably just worthy, uh, worth our time just to go through them. First of all, it says, look, what is your business objective behind the content itself? Don't look at likes. Don't look at page views necessarily because those might not be the type of behaviors we're looking for or the type of behaviors you want to see. 
and talks a little bit about the fact that you know certain headlines can actually be dangerous to the brand even though it drives traffic so i love that whole thing and the takeaway here is you know get back to the basics and fill, figure out what kind of behaviors you really want and traffic and and other vanity metrics aren't really there what i love about this robert is uh, talks about forget five hundred 500 words or less basically that there's a return to long form content you and i've been talking about this for a long time huffington post came out with a couple channels that are all long form form 3,000, 6,000 word pieces they're you know they're being engaged with at 20 to 30 minutes at a time online and we thought that that type of engagement was relegated to print magazines well not so anymore we're starting to see it online and uh i think that I remember, boy, back in the day when we used to do blogging programs for small businesses, we said, oh, you know, if, as long as it's 250 words, 300 words, you pack it with the right keywords, you know, all that whole strategy is out the window now. Yeah. It's all out the window with Google's algorithm changes. So basically, what we want is really just quality content. It doesn't matter how long it is, but sometimes to really make a point, you need you need longer content. I don't know if there's anything other other ones here that you really... Well, there was, you know, I mean, the the three are just great. I mean, what my major takeaways, you know, it it was, it was, you know, it's, you know, the great minds think alike, I guess, you know, (laughs) in that kind of spirit. The forget about the vanity metrics thing was probably my favorite there. um, Because what it told me, it's, it's something that, you know, we talk a lot about in, 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 at conferences and at workshops and with clients, which is this idea that you don't have to be big, you have to be remarkable which is it's not about going viral. It is about engaging with an audience no matter how small it is. It can be one or a hundred or a thousand or a million. The idea is, is that what you're doing is engaging with that audience. And that, to me, was – I was so glad to hear somebody from BuzzFeed actually say something like that, which is great. And the idea of the long-form con- – I mean, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. It's something you've said a lot, which is let the content find its own form, which is you know yep. long-form content – can be extraordinarily effective and even more impactful than that short snackable content. And I, the, the stat that I love that he brought out was the fact that he finds long-form content on mobile, you know, their average time on site, I think, for that long-form was like 22 minutes or something like that, which is just a, an amazing thing. And the idea of moving to, you know, rich content video and, and all of that, of course, is something that I think we're all attuned to these days. So just a, I, I love the simplicity of it. I love, you know, that it was coming from him. And I love that it was just three very solid takeaways um, for content marketers to get their arms around. Well, the one thing, I mean, and I sort of glossed over the, the, the third point was about video, but basically saying yeah. that half of BuzzFeed's traffic um, oh, with, with video, half of that's on mobile. Yeah. I mean, think about that. So people have their mobile devices and they're engaging, you know, 50% of that video stuff they're engaging with on mobile. That's big. And we've just started with this thing. So, I mean, if you're thinking about how engagement is going to change and the different channels are going to change, I mean, basically what Jonah's saying is you better look at video as an important part of your content marketing strategy and not just a nice to have. It's a, it's it's thing. amazing how much more video is now filling just even my Facebook stream than even just, you know, two months ago, right? Even before Christmas, you know, the amount of video that now fills that, you know, it's like, it seems like every third or fourth post is now, you know, a either some sort of streamed inline video where it's literally as I roll over it in my mobile phone, it starts to play or whether it's a, you know, a piece of video instead of a picture. It's a, it's pretty amazing. Well, and then on Instagram as yeah. well. And then you've got the video inclusions of, of YouTube in into SlideShare. I mean, everything is going is going uh, on video. So I, you know, what's interesting is that most people, that most brands we talk to, are just not there yet. So I think we just have to all start getting serious about, uh, you know, looking at video. It's just, oh, are we going to do a product video on this, or are we just going to do a short campaign on this video? We need a regular video product when it comes to content. I think for. For most of it. Not that I want to just throw out video, but I think it's that important. We need to start looking at that. No doubt about it. All right. On to our next story. This one was one that I know – well, I have a I have a big take on this only because I – You have a better take. Yeah, you take this one because this is your area, and I'd love to hear like what the benefits are and what the, what the takeaways are for content. Well, here's the thing. So, okay, so the headline here is that Sprinkler, which is, you know, classic social media web 2.0 company that took all the vowels out of their name – um, and they are a large social media analytics firm, and a very and a very good one as well. And they bought the Dotches Group, 
um, which, you know, from my day, you know, I've been around long enough to remember when uh, when Dotchess, you know, was the founder of Razorfish and then went on to found his own company, his own consulting company called Dotchess Group and was around for a while. And then they did this really interesting pivot around two years ago where they they were doing consulting for a long time and basically they were consulting big companies on social media strategy. So this was, you know, sort of 2006, 2007, 2008, they were really doing a lot of consulting in that space. And then they pivoted into this software and they started creating social and brand analytic software. And the interesting thing to me was they they took a lot of money. They've both taken a lot of money in venture capital. And now that Sprinkler has has acquired them, the interesting thing to me was what the CEO and founder, and, and I may be mispronouncing his name, so my apologies if I am, Reggie Thomas of Sprinkler actually said in the press release, basically this acquisition accelerates their roadmap by at least 12 months. So in other words, they bought the company for the software, and they're going to become this very large software company. But the interesting thing to me here is this, I think, gives them scale, and so if you're a content marketer and you're starting to look at social analytics and and the the whole landscape of measuring the social conversations and content that you're producing across all your social channels. Certainly, Sprinkler is one that you're going to be looking at. But the interesting thing to me is is that I'm not sure whether this is going to be a good idea or not because, you know, basically, you know, an amalgamation of all these different solutions. And they've both, they've both acquired, you know, together they've acquired... 14 or 15 of the different Facebook analytic companies, and they've taken $100 million in venture. And so that's a whole lot of companies, a whole lot of code, and a whole lot of people to mash together and make into something that's really going to be solid. So I think the jury is still out on this. You know, the the market in general, the street basically, for whatever that's worth in this in this space, tends to like the acquisition, and, and overall it looks like a good fit between the two companies. But I think as you're starting to look at social analytics tools, it bears a second mentioning just to look at it and say, is this is this something that we really, you know, want to bet our bet our analytics on, or you know, are we looking at you know at something different here? So I, I, to me, it was an interesting thing, but it wasn't one of those like no brainer for me. This makes a total, you know, a, a lot. This feels like a venture funded deal, right? This feels like two venture companies going, hey. Wouldn't our two lunches be together much tastier? Let's do that, you know. So I, that's that's my take on it. It could be. It sound from what you're saying, it sounds like when the NFL took Joe Banner and said to the Cleveland Browns ownership, "You should take Joe Banner, and it'll all work out just great." And oh, I'm sorry, I just added a Cleveland Browns. Comment <laughs> there it is. And <laughs> yes, well, that is yes, that is kind of what I'm. This is kind of like that. That's exactly right. So anyway, I don't know if you've got any any other take on. Yeah, that. I don't have a take on it. I mean, that's why I said I don't know either the either of the companies. Uh, and uh, is it Peter Lee that was involved right. in, yeah. in the Dodgers right. group? So g- congratulations to those people involved. I you know hope they end up well. Uh, and uh, and it, it what's the only thing that I'm taking away from it is you're seeing a lot of these what we used to call social media analytics firms that are that are really getting into the space of content marketing because you're just, you were looking at all this data and it's all starting to overlap. And it's just, I think we're just, we're just starting to see, uh, even though M and a is so robust right now, we're going to, it's just, we've talked about yeah. it on every episode, right? It's just crazy. Yeah. It's just going to get crazier. And I don't honestly know if it's good or bad right now. Yeah. It's yeah. It's busy. That's for sure. You know, and it's, and it, you know, and, and, and it. It, you know, it's one of those things where as we, you know, that by the time this airs, of course, we will have gone through content tech, but it's one of the major points that we're, we're, we're talking through in the content tech event, um, which actually happens in two days. Um, and it's, you know, it, it is that this just so many different technologies, it's this thing I call the appification of marketing where, there are so many technologies that our marketing groups are using right now that it's almost like the front of our iPhone about what we're trying to use. And the challenge is that it's hard to unify a strategy around all of that. And so I think you're going to see that pendulum swing the other way. And I think you're going to start to see a, 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 you know, a collective sort of reboot of all of the marketing technologies that we're using now to try and make some sense of it all. But, but 
I think a lot of that is going to end up in the you know with with companies coming together, mergers, acquisitions, and all of that. I think it's sort of the mm-hmm. you know that pendulum swinging back. So we got a couple here on uh, platforms. I love this. I think yeah, next. I mean, the, the, this is exciting stuff, I think, for sure. I mean, it, not necessarily terribly deep for content marketer takeaways, but just really interesting and exciting stuff for, for content. The first one I know you've got to take on here, which is this Amazon set-top box, which comes out of Mashable this week. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, okay, we have Apple TV, and we're soon going to – it seems like it's really going to happen right now. Now Amazon's going to come out with their, their set-top box. What's interesting about that play is that if it goes in line with Amazon's strategy like they had with the Kindle, they are more than happy to lose money to get market share. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they will – and so you'll probably see something that's really good from a technology standpoint cost a lot less – so if, if Apple TV costs $99, I would expect Amazon's to cost 79 or right, something like right. that. And it would be a loss leader for them to get more of their content in front of you. And from a content marketing play, it's just another platform. I mean, I'm, it's weird. I'm, I'm starting to think differently about content creation. We've been even kicking around the ideas of things like uh, you know, documentaries and other types of content and storytelling just because the platforms are available, because you have Apple TV available, because you have Netflix available, because you have Amazon. And these are platforms we never had before, and now we can reach... You know, the data tells us who we who we can reach with these people. So I think it's very exciting, and we're sort of at inning one of inning nine of this thing. So I I like this set fact. I don't know if you see something similar to that with this. Well, movie. I do indeed, and and I think the 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 key for me was the you know the you know if you look at Apple TV, Apple TV is lean back content. It is you know exclusively lean back content, and we talked a couple of shows ago about the Red Bull. Uh, brand getting their own channel within the Apple TV. The differentiator here for Amazon, should they be good at executing it, is because their set-top box is going to be based on Android, you know, or at least seemingly would be based on Android based on the fact that their Kindle uh, series of products are based on Android, that would mean that they could actually deliver other things other than just video-related lean-back content. They could deliver games, interactive applications and that sort of thing. And that provides a whole new level of opportunity for those kinds of Red Bull-like companies that want to get in there and create a channel. Well, look at – so we I think – I can't remember we talked about this on one of the episodes, but you've got Google, you've got Microsoft, you've got Amazon, and you've got Apple fighting for the yep. home, right? So it's, it's on. I mean, you had Google buying um, – what's the, what's the thermostat company that they bought? can't remember what the name is oh yeah uh, uh, nest. Nest. nest they bought yeah. nest yeah they bought nest so they're getting into the home and you've got apple tv now you've got amazon set top microsoft has xbox like we think of this stuff i think you know as parents i almost think of it as you know gaming or entertainment but i don't think we realize that in the next couple of years this is going to be attached to, to everything we run in our house yeah no that's exactly right and and then and then from a so I think from a storytelling standpoint, a content standpoint, we, we have to, you know, this is not stuff we have to do tomorrow. But I think down the road with your three-year plan, you've got to start thinking about how some of these channels are going to change, and we've got to be prepared for it. Well, that's the, so, that's, and that's the major takeaway for me, and, and it's something that I've, you know, I've been talking about a lot of late with clients is in terms of how we restructure marketing the, you know, one of the most common questions I get asked is, okay, well, we have, you know, this is the way we're structured in marketing right now. How does that have to change to facilitate this idea of content marketing or, you know, even digital more broadly? And it's, and, and really what it comes down to is we've got to start restructuring around the ability to adapt and change to whatever comes down the road, right? Because, you know, four, five, six, seven years ago, we wouldn't have even imagined, you know, Google Glass, iPads, iPhones, tablets, you know, all of the different channels that we now have to manage, it's just changing on a month by month, quarter by quarter, year by year basis. And so it's not a question of anymore of how will we prepare our next campaign next year for the thing that's coming. It's how will we prepare our marketing department to change to something we don't even know exists yet. And that's the real strength. And, And so in terms of transforming our marketing processes, it's not about trying to figure out what's next. It's about trying to figure out how do we adapt to anything. 
That's the adaptable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, it's funny because that's where we're going to intelligent content conference, yeah. and that's what Scott Abel's been preaching forever, right? We've got to make sure that our content is responsive and adaptive, and and we can repurpose and reimagine that content in multiple different ways on command because we set it up to do that. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> so, right. And then I don't know. Did you did you want to mention the the Toyota? I do. Content? Yeah, because uh, Ty- it's a real. I mean, it's yeah, a great I mean, example. Not not. Ty- only, I was yeah. just gonna. I was just gonna say. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Good friend of the show, Kyle Ackerman, sent this to us, and it's on. Uh, Toyota content marketing. I think that the gist is this is Pandora. So Pandora is getting into, I guess you would call it a native advertising deal with Toyota, and they're doing a series of mashups. Did you? I mean, do you have an idea on the content there? I, you know, I thought the content was really interesting. So I'm not a big Pandora user. So it, it to me, it was like, oh, that's really interesting um, that they're creating a platform using Pat, uh, Pandora as that platform. You know, and the interesting thing to me was I thought I don't even know what the average Pandora user is. I mean, I'm assuming they did all the research and they think it's a really interesting test to reach that particular consumer. I wondered, you know, why Pandora? But but to me, it's 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 a really interesting experiment of sort of leveraging what we would normally do as a mass media buy, but they're actually taking it and creating a. You know, it, you know. Well, we talked last week about you know leveraging Tumblr, right? So, and that's got a very specific audience, and I suspect Pandora is the same. Well, you know, there it, by, it's called Toyota Sessions, which, according to the iMedia Connection article, it's a custom branded station on Pandora, features emerging artists doing cool things, and I think Toyota's funding them. You know, uh, collaborating with other musicians. It's funny though, and I don't even know if you know, but do you know about the Regeneration project that Hyundai put together? I, did I talk I to you about know. that? No, I don't know that one. Okay, so and you know when I read this, the first thing I thought thought of was the Hyundai Veloster regeneration program, and they did mashups, and they did a mashup of, uh, I mean, you would know the music like Most Def with Martha Reeves, and like oh, like just really yeah. interesting mashups they put together. And the first thing I thought of when I saw Toyota Sessions, I'm thinking that's a Hyundai project, right? <laughs> so I, you know. My apologies to the Toyota folks. Yeah. I just, you know, I was I was exposed to the to the Hyundai thing, but it's just it's just an interesting play. So it's almost like okay, yeah, Toyota want it makes sense for Toyota get to get into the music content side because there's so much about automobiles and music that go hand in hand. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. And if Pandora, it seems, can deliver and say, here's who the people that are listening to this, and they've got the data on it, so they can deliver that. I, it it seems like a reasonable play to at least experiment. With. I think that, and that's and that's where I, that's my takeaway. You know, it comes back to that thing we were talking about. You know, uh, you know, be, well, because it's because we have to mention at least once native advertising on the show. But when we were talking <laughs> about it last week, we were talking about the Tumblr thing, and we were saying, look, it's fine and dandy if you want to put your content out there and just sort of let that be. But it's there. There needs to be some some. You know, we need to have something at the end of that tunnel, right? Whether it's getting more insight around our audience, getting more insight into our, you know, or basically evangelizing our particular approach to a particular problem, or bringing them into so we can start aggregating our own audience for our own purposes. It feels like there needs to be something there. Otherwise, it's just a sponsored piece of branded content, you know, so it's just basically a sponsored ad. And so, I'm not, you know, this is where I struggle a little bit with it, right? Well, I mean, my my big problem with what's going on here in the native thing, and so so I don't know if Toyota's going to continue this, but I'm assuming right now they're creating content uh, and they're doing this native advertising thing. They're going to see how it goes and they're going to run it like a campaign. And the same thing that uh, Hyundai did. I mean, they did the regeneration program. That's not an ongoing program. But we talked, you, you had that great case study last week on vans uh, living off the wall. That's an ongoing program. They're trying to build an audience with it. Uh, it's not a flash in the pan. They're not necessarily leveraging it as a native. I still think, I mean, I have no problem with native, especially testing it. I think there's opportunities there. But I re- still think that you know, creating your own audience on your own platform and leveraging these other platforms like Amazon. And if we can't, that's fine or do a rent to own strategy, but it makes me sad a little bit when we're just saying, Oh, okay, let's see how this goes, treating it like an ad and then go letting it go away. And, and you waste all that 
asset yeah. time. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Well, but and so interestingly, to sort of put a bow on this whole discussion, there was an interesting one that was also another platform uh, uh, note that was sent to us. Uh, this was a hat tip to Rachel Gregg, who actually sent us a link to what Chevron is actually doing um, with a site called the Richmond Standard with local news, where Chevron is actually sponsoring and creating a local, um, and some would say hyper-local because it's really down at the community level, newspaper, and is actually creating a local newspaper funded and paid for by Chevron. It's a really, I mean, so is that, is it, does that where it, it starts to make a little more sense from a brand perspective when we're, well, I mean, and in their case, they're trying to make up for a fairly large egregious error where they had a big fire at the Richmond refinery up there in Northern California. And they're actually, you know, they're actually trying to you know, make amends <laughs> for that with the community and say, well, well not to, yeah, not, to, not to make light of it, but you know, you and I were talking before about, uh, you know, Chevron had this fire in the Richmond, California area and, and they were almost, it's almost seemed like they were sentenced to do a community <laughs> website. <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> Shame on you. Don't do it right. again. No more fires. No more for fires. You. you got to cover, you got to cover community local right. news. Exactly. Now. Um, you know, but what's interesting, and, and we've been talking about this locally for a long time, local news is difficult to cover Absolutely well. right. We've seen it done really bad in a lot of different ways. Now, what – I don't want to be altruistic here, but if you, if you – I really do believe there's a possibility that bigger companies with big brands like a Chevron could come in and really super help on the local standpoint and fund these types of initiatives. Yep. Now, by the way, I totally get how it could go wrong, and they wouldn't want certain things to come out. I mean, I'm sure I have a feeling that there's no like real negative refinery <laughs> fire speak right. on the Richmond Standard right. site that they're doing it. But the fact is, is that if this local information is not getting funded, who can fund it? Sometimes our some of these big brands can with big budgets that care about their local community. So I'm a little bit torn by it. I love the example. So thanks to Rachel for sending yep. it in. Uh, it's a really good example, and I think we're going to see more of this. And I think that if you see – so if, if the local newspaper is dying in your HQ area, if there's an opportunity for you to pick up that slack, I think that this is an opportunity for brands right now that want to make an impact locally as long as that jives with – the overall objectives of the brand, and I, you know, so. yeah, and I think that that is exactly right, you know, and and you know, I'm going to talk about this a little in just a second, actually, when we get to our rants and rave section of the show. But you know, it's this kudos for all of these brands for creating platforms by which they're actually experimenting with this stuff, right? What they're actually trying to innovate with content creating experiences for their consumers you know whether they're doing it altruistically or in a mercenary kind of way they are actually experimenting with interesting types of content across interesting channels and for that they should be you know for that they should be applauded i think here here yeah so time for our favorite speaking of here here our favorite part of the show <laughs> our rants and rave section of this old marketing where joe and i either go off on a bit of a rant on something that's really just bugging the hell out of us or a rave where we want to show a little love to something that has really just impressed us. And so, Joe, I know you have a you, – is it a rant this week that you've got? I'm going to do – yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do a rant. Um, and by the way, I'm not going to talk about it here, but I did a whole rant on my LinkedIn post, and we'll put it in the show notes. And it was all about how there were some certain people that were upset about WhatsApp and not creating enough jobs. Like that, it's their job to create jobs. And I, I just – so anyways – that we'll put on the site. This rant is actually, I'll first do a little bit of rave because some of this I really like. So this is a Forbes column from Greg, I think it's pronounced Satel, and it's called How to Do Content Marketing Right. And of course, I got to read an article that says how to do content marketing right because <laughs> right. I got to see if they're talking about it right. That's so a- <laughs> there's a couple things. So Plus, we need to know right how to do it the- right. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't know, know how to, know do, how it to right. do this thing. What is <laughs> what this is... content thing? So I, I start reading and I get upset right away because, <laughs> because the first line, he says, content is hot. Yeah. Exclamation point. What used to be a relatively small cadre of bloggers and YouTube enthusiasts has become a major marketing arena. Yeah. Well, right now you lost yeah. it. You lost all credibility because you don't know the history we just talked about one from 1867 last episode. Greg, you're not listening to the show. Right. Greg, you've got problems here. So anyways, <laughs> so that, uh, that right off the bat, I'm, I'm upset about that. 
says first, stop calling it content. And I get the whole, I mean, we've seen a lot of posts that are bashing, hey, content is this buzzword and whatever. Here's why we need to use content. Here's why we call it content marketing. It's why everybody needs to call it something that's the same. Because there were so many years we were talking past each other and nobody knew what we were talking about. At least now when brands or marketers are talking to each other, we at least have some similarity of what we're talking about when we say content marketing. So, but you know, great. Stop calling it content. Greg, what do you want to call it? Right, what would exactly. you like to call it? Don't, I love the posts as you say, first stop calling it content, but I don't have any, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> Just don't call it content. Okay. Let's call great. it. Thanks, let's, Greg. Let's, let's <laughs> call it, let's, let's call it Sally. <laughs> Yeah, so so Sally. <laughs> okay, yeah. I gotta get pull myself together here. Uh, <laughs> then he goes into a very good section which I liked, which was called "Define Your Mission." Yes, that I you know you and I have talked Absolutely. about the content marketing mission statement till we're blue in the face. I believe that whole thing. Now here's lost me again at the end. You'll love this. Forget about content strategy and focus on content skills. I, so I get, I, oh, I get what, this, this, yeah. yeah, I get where he's going. This but got anytime me. you this, say this forget about content, yeah, yeah. Anytime you say forget about content strategy, brands will forget about content strategy because they're already not doing content marketing strategy. So the, I get that he comes from a publishing background. He says we need content skills. We need to be bu- building positive, meaningful experience, not taglines. I get the whole thing and where he's going. But if it's not based in some kind of marketing strategy, you probably shouldn't be doing That's it. That's right. So, Greg, stop doing this kind of stuff and tell people. And I know where you're going, man. I know your heart's in the right place. But we've got to make sure we start with a content marketing strategy. And even if for all the experimentation that Robert and I have been talking about here, is as long you need to know that that's experimentation. You need to know that you're doing it for experimental purposes. The problem is you can't have all your content marketing be experimental. Or just because you think you're good content creators, that's all we need. And if we're talking about giving value, value exchange, that's no, it's not. A, you can't just if you are a marketer and you have a product or service, you can't just solely be a publisher. You can think and act like a publisher, but at the end of the day, you have to be moving the needle. Or it doesn't work. You're not going to get budget. So that's my. I think. Rant. Well, that is a fabulous rant. I mean, he got. He. I mean, he. He. He lost me at the end with the whole. You. You don't need a strategy. You need skills. I mean. That, I mean, it just went. Okay. Right. You know. Now I'm going to be calling it Sally. Yeah. yeah Sally marketing. <laughs> right. It's Sally Ford. Sally. <laughs> There you go. Oh, you have a now. You have a rave. I do have week? a rave. I, I do have a rave. Oh this my goodness. Week. You know. So you know, Joe. I go out and do the hard work, the, the tough work, the, the really nitty gritty roll up my sleeves, have to do this research work. I had to go out and really look at the sports illustrated swimsuited issue. Um, and really dig in, if you will, to (laughs) the content of the sports illustrated swimsuit issue. My rave this week is what they have been able to do. Um, there is a, there is a post. This is not something that I have, uh, other than the research that I did, you know, of course, to thoroughly investigate for this uh, rave. Um, there's a wonderful post that we will post in the show notes that that covers some of this. But what they have been able to do with that brand, they have done exactly what Andrew Davis talks about in Brandscaping. They have built a separate content brand out of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit. It's not Sports Illustrated, right? The swimsuit issue is a different brand. And it is a different franchise, and it is a different platform. And what they've been able to do with it, and what they did with it this year specifically, is really just something that we should all be striving for. Um, And it's just really great, because they have turned it into this just exhaustive way of doing omni-channel content. I mean, so just listen to some of the stuff that they've got. They've got an iPhone app, an iPad app. They've got a pre-launch TV special. They did a complete lineup across their social media channels. They did a coffee table book. They did a complete photo spread with Barbie. So they did a a partnership with Mattel that I'm sure money was changed hands for, where they had the same guy who did all the iconic uh, photographs of the swimsuit models did a photo spread of Barbie called Unapologetic, which was, you know, got tons of conversation across both the earned, owned, and paid media uh, spheres of the world. They even had the New Zealand uh, uh, Air New Zealand 
create their flight safety video using the Sports Illustrated swimsuit models and that platform. And then they actually went out and did a partnership with Target where they actually did a digital edition of the swimsuit model edition specific to Target featuring only swimsuits that were available in the Target stores. I mean, and it just goes on and on and on, the way that they've been able to leverage this across different channels, different audiences, different platforms, and create a completely separate, profitable content brand just thinking really creatively about and really wonderfully about the way that they structure it. So hats off to them, right? I mean, among, yeah. I feel horrible for the work. Yes, you had. It to was put really tough. It was really, really tough. This. Yeah, watching yeah, the I'm videos. Looking at, I'm looking. I'm looking for the first time at some of your research. Yeah, here. this is just astounding. yeah. Watching the videos was really, really tough, and the you know, of course, the uh, you know, the, the 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 iPad app and all of that was just it was really hard. It was I I, I really work for my craft here, Joe. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, Joe, our good our good friend uh, our good friend Joe Chernoff, while he was at Eloqua. Uh, created the Grande guides, and he said it's all uh, content marketing is always easier if you create a a separate brand out of it, like a sub brand, or treat it like a product almost. That's right. And you could continue to run that product over and over again instead of starting fresh with something new every time. And I think that you know they've been able to do this. And of course, Lego's done the same thing with Lego Movie, and they do something. I mean, sixty percent of the toys that they sell every year are from new launches, but they're based off of you know, old themes like whether it's, you know, Indiana, new licensing deals like Harry Potter, Indiana Jones, now the Lego movie. Yeah. I mean, the take, and, and the takeaway for this for me is that, you know, is if you're a small B2B company or a big B2B company or a small B2C or a consulting firm or a nonprofit and you're thinking about launching a content platform, take an extra minute or two or 10 and start to think about how you could create a brand with that, a content brand with that, and and what it would look like, what it would feel like that's separate so that it just doesn't become your corporate blog run by admin, right? Every time I see a corporate, you know, here, blog, that's the name of our, con- it's called blog, and if you go to the blog, it's got admin, written by admin, everything's written by admin. It's like, come on, let's just, let's take a little creative time and tell a story through a personality and even the name of the thing should reflect the position and the point of view of our uh, on the world. That's that's what I really just love about it. Because they could have very easily Amen. just stuck this in and just called it, you know, this is you know our special Sports Illustrated edition. But they've got they've built an iconic brand out of it, and it's just it's just wonderful. And the fact it's it's a consistent series, yeah. every year, every single you, year, every every year, and that's that's maybe more important and maybe the reason why it's so successful as well. Yeah. So. On to user questions. We got a couple of user questions this week, which were really great. And the first one comes to us from Jonathan Bean. Um, he, you can catch him on Twitter at, at John O. Bean, J-O-N-O Bean. Um, and he asks the question, which I would love to your take on, which is, do you see any difference between brand journalism and content marketing? Joe, what do you think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there it is definitively uh yes there are lots of different there are lots of different uh things that go into content marketing ways that you can tell a story i think brand journalism is one of them i think you're seeing this big love for whatever reason where you have a lot of brands that are launching brand newsrooms and they're covering it in a journalistic standpoint um you don't have to do that like you could like for example if uh, if the swimsuit issue was not done, let's say it was done by uh, Victoria's Secret, right? Actually, you could do Victoria's Secret, same thing. I mean, they're right. they're doing that whole thing to sell more stuff, and they're not doing it to sell ads like uh, like SI's doing. Um, that's not brand journalism in any way, shape, or form. You're not covering anything using the tenets of journalism. Um, you're basically trying to attract your customers in a certain way and have them do something. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you want with content marketing, but it doesn't have to be journalism. And I think brand journalism is actually a very small portion of content marketing. And I guess what I don't, I'm not a big fan of the term. I know you're not either, Robert. I guess I would say you, a lot of brands run to brand journalism thinking that it's content marketing. And I think that's the wrong way to look. 
Do you do you have a take I do. On it? I, I and I and I, I as usual I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think the the I think it is a small piece. I think there are myriad, you know, there are myriad ways to tell a story and the journalistic style is one of them. And so, you know, the idea that we can tell a story th- through a reporting just the facts, ma'am. Let's do this through, you know, and and, and you know, whether it's investigative reporting or you know, the the journalistic approach is one way to tell our story. There are other ways to tell it as well. And so it's a very small piece of what I would call an overarching content marketing strategy. Yeah, I think it comes down to when you're looking at the strategy and you say, how are we going to tell this story? That's right. Then you come and say, okay, well, you could do it like uh, Chevron is with uh, Richmond Standard. That's right. When we, I mean, that's probably more of a brand journalism standpoint. Uh, but the majority of examples we come across are are not of brand journalism. And I, and I guess what I would say is nothing wrong with that, but tread lightly, and it means a different kind of analysis of your content, and you better put in the type of processes to make sure that you're right and you have fact checkers and you understand yep. what it takes to put a newsroom together because it is not easy. And even going back to... You know, all the, I mean, even this is not a real time marketing thing, but when you go and people want to have their Oreo moment with real time marketing and Oreo mess it up for everybody, you got to realize that that is really hard. You have lots of legal people there. You have lots of journalists, lots of content creators. You have to have a seamless process, great communication. So if you're going that angle, I would say there's probably double, maybe triple the amount of investment on a brand journalism site than it would be on a, on a normal content marketing effort. But it really depends on what you're trying to do. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. On to the next question. We have a question that comes to us also via Twitter uh, from James Gardner. Um, you can catch him on Twitter at, at James Gardner. He was one of the early ones, obviously, and got his name uh, unlike me, <laughs> which I'm still bitter about. Anyway, um, he asks the question. He, 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 he sent us a link basically and said, you know, just can I get your opinion on this, which was basically an article from the New York Times talking about how Marissa Meyer is now aiming, as the headline says, to more deftly blend ads with content. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week with Tumblr, but you had a really interesting take on this. And so I wanted to get your answer on this. Yeah. So the New York Times article is about, you know, Mar- Marissa Meyer saying that they want to have uh, better standards with they're advertising on the site because they want to create a more positive user experience. And my take, you and I were talking, I was like, oh, they're going to have standards with their ads. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's the news here, that she's setting standards because I think that if you look at most of the media sites out there, I mean, if you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been a Yahoo user for a long time. They scrape the bottom of the barrel for some of these ads. These are the ones that, you know, have, uh, Will Ferrell's hat on a bodybuilder's body, right. and there's a you got to buy more <laughs> right. of this type of powder. It's going to make you strong. I kind of like or, that creative, you know, though. I, can, I mean, that's that's yeah, good creative. Yeah, can, Will Ferrell on, I can on get Schwarzenegger's you, yeah. body is that's that's hot stuff. <laughs> I can, yeah, then I can get you five percent less off your mortgage and blah blah blah. Those are the type of ads. Now, if they're actually going to have standards like most media companies do, like the New York Times do about who advertises for them and how to do that, that's great. Now, they will definitely blend that with native advertising opportunities. It sounds like that. So my take is Yahoo, for to <laughs> Yahoo, that they actually have standards, and I think that's the story. Fantastic. Well, I am not going to add to that because I think that was just the perfect answer to that question because I would also agree with it. It is time for this this old marketing, our namesake for the show. And we have a really really interesting one. Um, another really old one, which I just absolutely love. I mean, we at last week we uncovered what we think is probably the first or at least standing first. But this week we have a, another really old one back from 1908, early 1900s. And it comes to us also from Wellington, New Zealand. So first of all, big hat tip to Brendan Livingstone. Um, and I don't know if it's Livingstone or Livingstone, so forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your last name there, who wrote a blog post about the Edmunds Cookery Book. And for those of you who are in Australia or New Zealand, this may be this may be old news to you, but this was just fascinating to me. They basically, in the early 1900s, the Edmonds is a, uh, a baking powder company, and they decided that they were going to start producing a cookbook. And the cookbook was really given out 
to all new married couples, which is just awesome. Uh, the, a great way to do it because, of course, the new married couples were going to start fending for themselves and they were going to start cooking for themselves. And so all these wonderful recipes that came out of the Edmunds Cookery book um, was really about supporting these new couples as they started to make their way for themselves and, and cook for their new family. And it went the 1908 version of viral, I guess, and, and really over the last 50 years – more than 3 million copies have been printed of this book and now it's online and it's it's still in print and it's one of the uh, major sources of these guys you know creating a great brand for themselves and a great uh, a great affinity with their audiences by producing this cookbook so it's just a wonderful example of how something really old can be just kept up and made new again. It's just it was a wonderful what, example. What is this? What is it? 1907? 1907, 1908. Yeah, it's it's uh, 1908 oh, was the first gosh. time they published uh, the 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 Edmunds Cookery book, and uh, yeah, it was basically given away to all those married new married couples was for free, you know. And it's yeah. it, it's so similar to the Jello story yeah, from really 1902, is. 1904. Yeah. So it's really and by the way, thanks to, to Brendan and and keep them coming. I mean, we've been inundated it's been with new, older e- examples of content marketing that we've never. Uh, so keep them coming. This is incredible. Thanks, thanks, Brendan. That's fantastic. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Where are you off to? I know we're going to see each other on Friday at Intelligent Content, but beyond that, because this will be that'll be before this show airs, which is uh, early next week. So where will you be next week? Um. Uh... I don't know. Uh, I I know I'm out. Uh, I'm pretty much out uh, for two of those three weeks. I'll be home for one of those weeks, and then you and I are going to Content Marketing World Sydney, and then uh, we'll have more details on it. But we'll be headed to Singapore for a couple of days, you and I. So that'll be exciting. And then we've got the big executive forum uh, coming up dun, in dun, late dun, May. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be cool. So it'll be actually nice hanging out with you. We usually are in different places, but we're going to have two events coming it's, up, three events where we'll be in the same place. It's going to be it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, this week I I have one little event, and then I'm home next week, and then it just all goes to you know where. I mean, I just get on a plane and I don't stop for like two months. So I'm 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 absolutely happy to be home now with all the weather that's going on across the world and and uh and but then looking forward actually i'm actually looking forward to getting back out on the road and seeing people going to conferences and really getting out and mixing it up a little bit so that is it uh for this episode for joe polizzi this is robert rose signing off and remember if you'd like your question answered on the show tag us on twitter it's really simple hashtag this old marketing or if you prefer the old traditional Web 1.0 way, send us an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. This was episode number 15. Also, if you like this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links, including all of the wonderful links, are available on the show notes, available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. This Old Marketing.